0: Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman, and today we're talking about social media with Leah Plunkett, an associate dean and associate professor at University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law, and Leah also directs the UNH Law's Academic Success Program, and she's on faculty at the Youth and Media Team at the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University. But when I say we're talking about social media, it's not the social media that you might be thinking about. We're talking about how our social media behaviors may impact our kids and ourselves and making the best choices to connect and share while still honoring the privacy and dignity of our kids. Leah is the author of Sharon Hood, Why We Should Think Before We Talk About Our Kids Online. So Leah, what do you see as the best guideline? Look, I'm jumping in without even saying Hi. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Please, let's
1: jump in. Go for it.
0: <laughs> um, I'm just excited to talk to you. So, what do you see as the best guidelines for us to check ourselves? What what can we ask ourselves before we post something about our children?
1: Before we post something about our children, I suggest that we give ourselves a gut check by trying to put ourselves in our kids' shoes and thinking If my parents or my grandparents or my aunt or my uncle or whichever trusted adult it would have been in our lives, if they had shared this about me, how would I have felt about it at the time? And how would I have felt about it when I was 10, 13, 18, 20? Because of course, a lot of sharenting, the transmission of our kids' private information via social media and other digital technologies, takes place before our kids even realize we're doing it. So I think one of the best ways to set a course that protects our kids' privacy and respects their autonomy is to try to think not just how would it have felt to me as a three-month old if my parents Mm -hmm. had put my baby pictures out for the world to see, but how would it have felt to me as a 13-year-old or a college student? And once we start trying to do that, I think a slightly different picture comes into focus.
0: That's great. And I know you talk about a family privacy plan. How do you approach a family privacy plan?
1: In a minimalist, accessible way. I think (laughs) that if you think you have to sit down and write five pages or even a page, you probably aren't going to get there because let's face it, busy families, and I include my own in this, (laughs) just are trying to make sure that there's food on the table and relatively clean clothing. If you're like me and you spill coffee on yourself on the way to work, (laughs) then that might be hard even for the parents. But I encourage families to take stock and whether it's on a post-it note or just in their minds, think about what are the key values in our home and how can we implement them with respect to digital technology? So to give a concrete example, you might say, in our home, we really value childhood and adolescence as protected spaces to play. And that means making mischief, even making a few mistakes and growing up better and wiser for having made them. So those values might be, again operationalized in planned format for we as parents will not post anything online that talks about our kids somehow messing up because mm-hmm. we want to give them the privacy, the space and the freedom to do that without either the world knowing about it. Or it being tracked for posterity for it to come back and bite them later.
0: And even if that is your value, which is it's a wonderful example, helping keep that message very authentic because you as a parent actually believe what you're saying, which is that those mistakes are totally part of childhood and learning. And if you are ridiculing them for it publicly, you're basically saying, I I didn't really mean that. I don't actually support mistakes and learning.
1: Exactly. And one of the responses I sometimes get when I say that is, well, Leah, if it's so normal, what's the harm with sharing it? And my response to that is, I don't think it's really yours as a parent to share. Now, of course, we as parents or grandparents or guardians or whomever is -hmm. is raising kids, we all need commiseration and connection and guidance. So I'm certainly not saying don't pick up the phone and call your best friend don't write a text to your mom, don't ask your pediatrician. What I am saying is that it is not ultimately about prioritizing connection and commiseration if you go on a Facebook rant. It's ultimately more about sending the message to your child that you just so articulately and eloquently identified that whether they know you posted that rant at the time or they find it when they're 13, they're going to think, my parent wasn't in my corner. They were talking about me behind my back. They were ridiculing me and so on. So do you
0: recommend, I know with my kids, because I have um, I have kids at the age where they could really be embarrassed by a lot of what I do. <laughs> 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 so my 10-year-old and 13-year-old, mm, um, Yes. if I, on my private social media, want to post something that is sharing with friends, something that they're doing or just a check-in, I have to check with them to make sure that it's okay with them. But it's still out there, even though it's private. So I worry that um, I personally, no matter how much I think about this or talk about this, privacy policy issues are just very overwhelming to keep up with. And there's so much to read. I often don't really know what it is that I'm putting out there, even when I think I'm protecting my kids and honoring their privacy and checking with them. How can I know? Or is the answer what I'm terrified of, which is there's <laughs> just once you put it there, you're basically opening your children up to somehow having that be out there in the world.
1: The answer is unfortunately sort of the terrifying one. And I say this from the perspective of a mom. I've I've got two kids. They are nine and four and three quarters. The three quarters is very important. (laughs) She's not embarrassed of me yet. She still thinks I'm awesome. I don't know how many (laughs) more years I have left of that. Uh, But unfortunately, the answer is the terrifying one. I am a law nerd and a privacy nerd and a mom. That is why we're asking you. We want to know. We (laughs) want to know. I don't even have the ability to keep up with every single privacy policy and terms mm. of use and terms of service for every product I use. And so I think, though, there are a couple of things that we can all do to not just get frozen in the face of being terrified. <laughs> the first thing is, we can exercise some rules of thumb around which digital technologies we have in our homes. Okay. I tend to be really skeptical at this stage of things about any smart technologies, smart devices or sensor enabled technologies that would be on my children's bodies or regularly interacting with them. So, so you are talking
0: about an Apple Watch or a or the ones for younger kids that I can't even I don't even know the names of. Is that yes. an example or like a finding finding them?
1: Exactly right. You've just hit the nail on the head. Those types of surveillance technologies sometimes I. That
0: is a more sophisticated, appropriate description.
1: (laughs) No, it's. Well, I also sometimes just call them spyware because that is ultimately what they are. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say at this stage of the game, I'm really skeptical of those because when you take a step back and you think, okay, as a consumer, even if I were to take the time to sit down and read, Every single privacy policy, all the terms of use. They usually have language in them that is big enough to drive a truck through in terms of Mm -hmm. companies' ability to do vague things like use the data to improve our product or share with our partners. So once you start seeing language like that, you really don't know exactly where the data is going, what it will be used for now or in the future. Or even what types of data will be collected. So for things that go on my children's body and can pick up a lot of information about their behavior, their movement, and Mm. so on, I just don't feel like I need that right now. And I'm totally open to a family coming back and saying... You know what, Professor Plunkett, you said to be values-based about this. In our family, we have a specific set of circumstances and we have to value the ability to know where our children are at all times above Mm -hmm, everything else. mm -hmm. I respect that. But I think unless you have a really compelling reason to bring in those spyware technologies or even some of the smart home devices, I would say they just have the potential to get so much information all the time that is so intimate, I really am skeptical about using them for kids. So that's one thing you can do is Mm -hmm. just have a rule of thumb that when it comes to more intimate activities, like for instance, changing your kid's diapers, there's a smart diaper now. Go low
0: tech or no tech unless you really- I did not know that there was a smart diaper. I've somehow missed that. Not a single one of my clients has told me about this. (laughs) What is a smart diaper? I don't even understand.
1: (laughs) A smart diaper uses sensors and other technology to track the output, or should I maybe say outflow uh, <laughs> of the children into the diaper? So, lets you know what? when it's time for a change.
0: Wow. Well, I think that all children, first of all, I'm not comfortable with on your on your body as it's growing. That just doesn't seem scientifically like a great idea um, when we don't know the ramifications on your physiology. Great a, point. To have something like that right there—that's where my my mind goes. But also, it's it's you know you can smell poop after. <laughs> you, that's very easy and <laughs> wet. You can feel with a exactly. Little, wow. Okay. So definitely no smart technology on your person, and even something like Alexa, um, you feel is—I mean, rightfully—I I think it probably doesn't get past anybody that if you have an Alexa combined with a smartphone, there's no ad that isn't so targeted at your private intimate conversations and even thoughts. Yeah, (laughs) Um, exactly. Right, and today isn't about this, but I, I do hear a lot of people tell me, well, I have to get my kid a phone or I have to get them an Apple Watch because they're starting to walk around by themselves and I need to keep tabs on them. And I live in New York City, so it's easy for me to say, you They can walk into a store in five seconds if they mm-hmm. need to reach someone. it's I guess quite different. And so I can't speak to what it feels like if you live outside of a big city where you're really while it feels probably scarier to other people to think of kids walking around, I feel quite a bit better about it because there's just a constant flow of people that you can you know good citizens and moms around that you can turn to. um and that's not the case anywhere that's a bit more suburban or spread out.
1: Well, I do think that there is a lot of, there's a lot of sharenting decisions right now that are exactly along the lines of what you just identified, which is a parent is making a decision about whether or not to authorize to enable Mm -hmm. a child to share personal information. So I do think that it relates very much to our conversation. In that, yes, your child may be 10, 11, 12, so once they have the device you're giving them, they're the ones using it. But the line between a parent's decision to allow spyware, (laughs) which is sharenting, Mm -hmm. and what the Mm -hmm. child does with it, I think can be kind of blurry. And I think you've also hit on something really important, which is that if we teach our kids from an early age that... A, it's okay for them to be spied on, whether it's by yeah, us or anyone else. Good point. And B, that they should rely on technology or us as connected to them by technology yeah. to get them out of trouble. They're not developing their common sense survival skills in a way that they need to.
0: Yeah, That is a here, here to that. Sometimes it's appropriate, but there are times that kids call and somebody could be in the middle of, you know teaching a course at Harvard, what? you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and they feel like that, you know, I'm reachable 24 seven, no matter what, seek me out. Now there's one thing, if it's an emergency and there's probably a way, I know I have like a call twice in a row, if it's an emergency and don't call me during the day, if it's not an emergency with mm-hmm. my 13 year old, but, um, <laughs> which makes me sound like a monster, but really I'm not, no, I'm not talking about here, the weekends. Here. I'm just saying like, If it's after school and you have to navigate something that I know you could have done before you had a phone a year ago, you could do it um, now. But it's also because of exactly what you said. We have kids going to college now who aren't picking their coursework out without calling their parents. And so some of it's not even a safety thing. It's really um, it feels like a safety thing, but it's really just about being able to move a little bit appropriately further away from the nest and see that you can survive and come home. Um, And I think it's just as the world gets more and more of a handle on spyware, it feels safer to be able to spy on our kids at all times. Um, So and it's also they're probably better at this than we are. So if people are spying on their kids for the purposes of making sure they're not getting into trouble, it's probably in advance a guaranteed fail. Go Macro is a mother-daughter owned vegan protein bar company that believes a balanced plant-based lifestyle is key to a healthy body, sharp mind, and bold spirit. And they even have macro bars called Everlasting Joy Macro Bar that supports different charitable organizations by giving a certain percentage of the proceeds back. It's a company that pays it forward and is trying to change the world. They're available in 16 flavors. Macro bars are packed with 100% plant-based ingredients that fuels your body and your mind. And by being plant-based, it helps the environment. This company is based in a rural community with a mission to spread awareness for balanced plant-based lifestyles with products that have a positive effect on the world. Their goal, to inspire you to have a healthy body, sharp mind, and a bold spirit. And they're great mini snacks and regular-sized snack bars. If you want to throw them in your bag on the go and have something for your kids, they also have three flavors for kids with food allergies or dietary restrictions. The three flavors are delicious and they're nut-free. Oatmeal, chocolate chip, maple sea salt, and sunflower butter. Also, the ingredients are certified organic, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO, clean, raw, and soy-free. This is something you can trust and tastes awesome. So if you want to try these bars out, you can actually get 30% off plus free shipping for a limited time when you put the promo code humans in at checkout go to www.gomacro.com and don't forget to put the promo code humans in at checkout for a 30% off plus free shipping for a limited time
1: hey guys i'm Whitney Port and this is with wit A lot of you may know me from reality TV, and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Because on With Wit, very little is off limits. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing conversations to come. New episodes of With Wit are available every Tuesday on all platforms.
0: So what about, so let's say your child has a phone, but it's before they're allowed to have social media because their age isn't appropriate for whatever the app is, but you have social media and you're putting them on it. What I think I'm hearing is that at that point, you're making the same choice that you're telling your kids they're going to have to make, which is if you don't want it to be published in the New York Times and you don't think it's appropriate which i don't want my kids even just smiling <laughs> and looking out into the world being published in the new york times so um i'm going to have to rethink my life but um, <laughs> but that that it, it you really do need to think twice about whether you want the information of, of their face featured on your private social media
1: that is right because even with social media settings set to private there are a couple of big ways that privacy invasions can still happen. The first is that someone could always screenshot something and reshare it. Hopefully in your private network, no one would, but mm-hmm. private networks can get pretty big. So you don't know exactly who's there.
0: Sure. Especially with adolescents. Yes. I mean, adults certainly have a little bit more of a handle on their private, although you're right. That's Who am I kidding? I think some people don't know everybody. Um, that they're sharing these things with. So that's one issue is the screenshotting. And what else is, is part of that? And another
1: big issue is that we seem to get constant revelations of what has been going on behind the scenes of big tech these days. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, to go back to the New York Times, actually, big story there this fall about how pictures from social media accounts including pictures that parents had posted of kids, some of them as young as toddlers, had been used to train what the New York Times called bleeding edge surveillance technologies, facial recognition technologies. And that had been happening back in the early 2000s, was only revealed recently. And actually, interesting lawyerly footnote, (laughs) there's a very intense biometric privacy law In Illinois, I think it is one of the Midwestern states where Facebook actually had to pay out a settlement recently just because of that biometric data law. But that's just one example of many of all the ways in which you need to remember that your privacy settings on your social media are about which other human viewers you're allowing in or think you're allowing in. They are not about what the social media provider or any third parties that are in its ecosystem. It's not about what they're doing with those pictures or that data. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just a ray of sunshine today, sorry.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, um, that's such a great point that it's not about the human privacy. We're talking about a whole other level of privacy that that's, that's incredible. Only because I just hadn't thought about it that way because I don't live in a technological, you know, I'm just not fluent there. So it doesn't even occur to me what I'm saying robot because I have no other. Let's um, call it a robot.
1: Because it's 1980.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but that that did not I don't think that occurs to us when we're sharing first day of school photos with our close family and friends. Um, but but you're right. It's out there. So. On that note, what are the most egregious social media apps? Because I will tell you that I am floored by how many people are, are saying they don't want their kids. This makes me sound judgmental, which is so not where I want to be work-wise or as a human being, but I am admittedly floored at how much um, TikTok. So yep. um, TikTok, so I have a lot of, um, I know a lot of people who are forbidding their kids to use Instagram and Snapchat for until they're 13 or up because it's, you know, there's a permission thing that you have to check and they feel like that's a good excuse, but they're all letting their kids, not all, that's ridiculous, but a lot of people (laughs) are letting their kids use TikTok way earlier because it's fun and it seems interactive. Even if they're not posting the TikToks, what are the privacy levels of even downloading the app on your phone and practicing the dances?
1: There is a version of TikTok, as I understand it, for kids under 13, where they can create videos but not post them. That's right. But I wonder what the
0: privacy, I guess that's the one that concerns me where we just don't know when we're not reading through all those privacy documents, what that really means.
1: We don't. That's absolutely right. I think one place to start for parents, mm-hmm. uh, common sense media, which I think is great as a trust point for giving mm-hmm. parents yeah. advice about digital life. They have a great parents' guide to TikTok. I will confess I have not looked at all of the privacy policies in terms of service on the TikTok <laughs> for kids. I just don't like accept. Use that. It. <laughs> um, but I will I, I'm happy to say as a very, general rule of thumb that unless a kid-facing version of an app really prominently and unequivocally states something to the effect, we are not using anything from your kids for any sort of marketing, advertising, data analytics, or any other activity, then I think We should be assuming that there's a potential or the reality that the company is extracting information behind the scenes and aggregating it, possibly resharing it. And I have yet to see a version of any kid facing platform, you know, YouTube Kids, for instance. I have yet to see a kid facing version of a popular social media or other digital service that really makes the kind of short, sweet, unconditional lockdown privacy pledge that I would want to see as a parent.
0: Well, that's, you know, something to think about. That's a lot to think about. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So do you personally, and please, if you don't want to answer this, by all means, but I'll ask anyway. Do you personally have social media accounts?
1: I do. Mm -hmm. So this book that I wrote and these conversations that I love having really come from a place of, not that I have all the answers, but actually I have a ton of questions and maybe we could all figure them out together. Mm -hmm. So I have Instagram, which I barely use, I'm bad. Um, I have Twitter, which I use for work. LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. which I use for work. I have Facebook pages for different professional things. I do have a personal Facebook page. It does have some pictures of my kids on it. Very, very few. Mm -hmm. I think maybe one in the past year that has my son. We did more when our kids were younger. Mm. And part of what this book grew out of was, it's like eagle arms in yoga, right? Where one arm wraps around the other. So I was having this professional immersion Mm -hmm. in legal research and writing around digital privacy laws and kids. And I was then getting onto my Facebook and maybe posting a really cute picture of my daughter in an Obama onesie, to give a real example. And it was adorable and I loved the likes, but I was having this slightly spidey sense of, She's only like two or whenever it was, maybe one. Um, you know, why am I doing this? Who's seeing it? So I do have a personal Facebook page, but it, it's very minimalist on the sharenting front. Interestingly, my nine-year-old wishes I would share more that because is interesting. he's a, he's aware that his friends are featured more on their parents' social media, so he thinks I'm a little uptight.
0: That's interesting. <laughs> he'll he'll <laughs> probably be so excited in a few more years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, So I tell him that. He's skeptical. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, That is so great. All of this information is so helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, Leah. Bye. And now for listener Q&A. Hi, Dr. Aliza. Thank you so much for your awesome podcast. I already feel like a better mom and stepmom because of it. Thank you. I love reading those because they feel so good. My question is in regards to my stepson. He's seven years old and does not have very good coping skills. He plays the victim card a lot and has a very inappropriate emotional response to simple problems such as needing help with a button. He refuses to try new things such as riding a bike or learning to play a new game. My best guess is for fear of failing and he takes the easy way out in just about everything. I believe a lot of this has to do with the fact that he's been overly coddled and pacified his whole life, whether with an iPad or having an adult do everything for him. I try to instill him with the confidence. I'm working with fostering a more independent attitude, but as a stepmom, I feel powerless to change behavior that was set in motion long before I came into his life. How can I help him build more resilience even if we are off to a late start? He has no cognitive or social challenges. He's a smart, loving kid with lots of friends. Thank you. Thank you for your question. That's, um, that's really tricky because, as you said, you're a stepmom, and less so that he's too old to change and develop these skills because he's still only seven, so there's lots of time left. But also because your relationship is always going to be different than his mom, even if she's not around. And your connection together is so important. Over time, having limits for kids, even if it makes them really angry in the beginning, as long as you're sensitive and understanding to the experience that they're going through, will prevail as the best way to kind of have that connection. Because if you didn't expect things of him and give him the confidence that you know he's kind of got this, like he can do it for himself, you believe in him, And you're going to expect him to fall off his bike a little bit and then get back on as tough as you may sound. Again, as long as you acknowledge, like, I know this is scary. I know that hurts. I remember doing this. I believe in you. We just have to keep trying and we'll take little steps every day until you get there. That will eventually grow his muscles to be able to experience frustration and persevere. It may be that he's been given what he wants for these seven years when he gets upset. So he doesn't know what the experience of being upset is or being disappointed. So again, I would say reframing thinking, playing a victim card, because I think when you even think that way, it will make your response to him a little less compassionate. So if you can reframe it as, wow, he hasn't been given tools. And so he flips out at any experience that doesn't feel comfortable for him and I'm here as a new resource to help him get better at emotion regulation. Even just the sort of different kind of tone that you take with him will probably enable him to connect better. Now, it won't happen overnight and it's definitely difficult to have a younger child and a stepchild and really give them both equal attention. That's one of the great challenges. But it's wonderful that you're thinking about it. So again, if you can connect with him so that he feels safe with you and then believe in him so much so that you are comfortable with his discomfort and he knows you're not just trying to torture him, but you actually believe that he can do this, then he will over time develop better skills at self-regulation. Another thing you can do is a family mindfulness practice which nobody except for you might do, (laughs) but just every single day, take a couple of minutes to just take a deep breath, remind yourself where you are and what your intention is with your stepchild, with your child, with yourself, and respond to his immediate need without reacting to his emotional reactivity, which takes a lot of time, but when he sees it from you and you don't butt heads, you'll get closer and closer. The next question says, hi there. I'm so happy I found your podcast and I'm learning so much. Thank you very much. My question is, my five-year-old daughter is extremely shy. I know this is okay, but she cannot speak to her teachers or adults in her life at all. When I'm around, I speak for her. If someone asks her a question or she needs something, my husband thinks I should ignore her so she learns to do it on her own. What do you think? Thank you. Well, thank you for your question. It's." Tricky because when you know that your child is shy, and I think what you mean by that is that it's hard for her to interact with people she doesn't know well or go into new situations. When you take on how hard that is, and maybe you're shy and you really understand how difficult that is, or maybe you're not, so you're being extra sensitive. So when you tell me that you speak for her, if someone asks her a question or she needs something, you're answering the question for yourself, which is that it's not that I'm suggesting ignoring her so that she learns to ask for what she needs on her own, but rather letting her know with empathy, this is really hard. You need to ask to go to the bathroom and you want me to do it for you. I know you can do it. I can wait here or I can walk with you to the teacher, but you need to use your words. Now that's just an example. You might not be in the classroom for that, but whatever it is, Try to avoid speaking for her, but take baby steps to let her know you know it's a challenge and you're gonna be right there with her. And then over time, stay a little bit further back and let her go ahead and ask herself. And she will learn to get her needs met with her own voice. But she does need somebody to believe that she's capable of it and to be empathetic to how difficult it is for her. So I would say that you and your husband could meet somewhere in the middle where you don't do things for her, but he is a little bit more compassionate with her discomfort. And then over time, she will learn to stand up for herself, to take the space that she needs. She may temperamentally always be someone who presents as quote unquote shy, but that doesn't mean that a more introverted kid can't still ask someone what they need or speak up. Good luck. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, write a little review. Tell me a little bit about yourself if you do write a review so I know how old your children are and what you're doing. And have a wonderful week.